Hi, welcome to MD Notified, a pediatric podcast. I'm your host, Christine Supchuk, and today we're going to be talking about one of the most common diagnoses we see in pediatrics, which is asthma. Specifically, we're going to be looking at the new guidelines released in December 2020 by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute that provided some updates to the recommendations on the management of asthma. Joining us is Dr. Judd Miller, an experienced pediatric hospitalist here in Atlanta, who's going to be helping us take a close look at the new asthma guidelines. Thanks, Dr. Miller, for being here. Thank you for inviting me. So before we dive into the nuts and bolts of the recommendations, um, could you tell us briefly about the guidelines and where they come from? This guideline, just published by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, is actually an update on a comprehensive asthma guideline that was released in 2007. So it's been quite a while, 13 years since a revision has been made. And it's not a complete revision. It's an update to some parts of the guideline. The original 2007 document is at least 300 pages. And this update is an additional 300 pages. And it focuses on certain topics. The updates mostly surround inhaled corticosteroids in the management of asthma. But there are several other updates, including the use of fractional exhaled nitric oxide in the diagnosis and management of asthma, the effect of indoor allergen mitigation on asthma control, the use of muscarinic agents in asthma management, the use of immunotherapy in asthma, and the use of bronchial thermoplasty as a treatment for severe asthma. And when they made this update, there was a lot more research on asthma done in those 13 years. And they, in general, used data from large reviews of the literature. So there's a lot of information covered in the guideline, um, way more than we could feasibly cover today. So we're just going to focus in on the parts that are most useful to the general practitioner. Um, in particular, I wanted to go through the section on use of intermittent inhaled corticosteroids. Uh, this section has some huge changes that may have a big impact on the way we practice. Um, and as you said, this was studied because the recommendations for inhaled corticosteroid use in 2007 were based on expert consensus rather than on more substantial research. But before we dive in, for the purposes of this discussion, I think it'd be helpful to go through the definitions used in the guidelines because I know when I was reading them, there were a couple that were a little bit confusing. The first definition is for intermittent inhaled corticosteroids. The intermittent part just refers to a seven to 10 day course. So not something you're using daily, but just something you're gonna use um, for brief periods of time. This is different from a PRN inhaled corticosteroid, which is something that you would use as needed when you're sick or when you feel like you're having an exacerbation. In contrast, Inhaled corticosteroid controller therapy is kind of what we more traditionally think about when we think about inhaled corticosteroids like Flovent, um, where we take them every day, twice a day, um, take them when they're well, when they're sick. And then lastly, um, there's this definition around recurrent wheezing, uh, which refers to kids who have three or more episodes of wheezing triggered by a URI in the child's lifetime or two or more episodes of wheezing in the past year. So those kids would be considered recurrent wheezers. Yeah, actually the first recommendation we're going to discuss has to do with the management of 
less than four-year-old kids who wheeze recurrently with colds. And as you said, these are kids who have had wheezing triggered by colds three or more times in their lifetime by age four or two or more times in the last year. And these are kids who are asymptomatic between illnesses and have no recognized persistent symptoms. The new recommendation is to prescribe a short course of inhaled corticosteroids of 7 to 10 days duration and as-needed albuterol for cough or wheeze and to start these at the first sign of a new cold. So in these kids, when we're using um, inhaled corticosteroids, we're recommending a 7 to 10 day course. What what steroid are we typically using? So the one that was studied was budesonide, the trade name of which is palmacort, at a higher dose than we customarily use for control. And that dose is one milligram by nebulizer twice a day for a week at the onset of a cold. And what they found was they studied this against putting kids on regular inhaled corticosteroids twice a day, two puffs twice a day. And what they found was that people who used it intermittently had identical outcomes, which was a reduction in the total number of courses of systemic steroids. And their outcomes were the same as those who had been using the inhaled corticosteroids regularly. They just used a lot less inhaled steroids. And this approach is embraced by parents because I've used it. The original papers on this came out 10 years or more ago. And uh, parents really can grasp that it would be good to jump in with also an anti-inflammatory treatment at the onset of colds. And they like this because they don't like giving their kids medications regularly, but can remember to do that when they're sick. And so I've actually had pretty good success with this so far. And with regard to our patient population who's a little bit older, um, let's say four and older, is there anything new in the guidelines with regard to those patients? Yeah, there's a lot of new stuff, and they've separated it into two groups. Those are kids between 4 and 11 years old and the kids who are 12 and older. And actually, the recommendations for the kids 12 and older also are the same recommendations for adults. So in kids 4 to 11 uh, who have mild intermittent asthma, we will continue to do the same thing, which is as-needed albuterol for coughs or wheeze or shortness of breath. And then the 4 to 11-year-olds with mild persistent asthma, we will start them, as usual, on a daily low-dose inhaled corticosteroid and then use as-needed albuterol for cough or wheeze. What's really changed a lot is the recommendations for kids in this age group, 4 to 11, who have moderate to severe persistent asthma. So if you actually believe these kids are compliant with their low-dose inhaled corticosteroid, but are still having symptoms and you want to step them up, the new step up is to change them to single maintenance and reliever therapy, which has been abbreviated as SMART, S-M-A-R-T. And this consists of using a long-acting beta agonist, specifically the one called Formoterol, plus an inhaled corticosteroid in a combination inhaler. In practice, this means prescribing 
one of two inhalers that are on the market. One is budesonide for Motorol, which comes both as a generic and as a branded medication called Simbacort. And then there's another one called Dulera, which only comes by its brand name, which is Mometazone for Motorol. And this is to be used both daily as a preventive and as needed with symptoms. Other long-acting beta agonist inhaled corticosteroid combos that use the long-acting beta agonist salmeterol, an example of which would be Advair, these have not been shown to act quickly enough. So the formoterol is both long-acting and has a short onset of action as opposed to salmeterol, which does not have a short onset of action, but does have a long duration of action. So you would not use salmeterol-containing combos for SMART. So SMART is, as you said, super new and is really a huge shift in the way that we manage these kids with moderate to severe persistent asthma. And there's nothing about albuterol on these guidelines. So in your opinion, would you still prescribe albuterol to kids who you send home on SMART? That's a great question, Christine. So perhaps in the future, but currently probably not. The big issue right now, which is hopefully an issue that will go away shortly, is there's sort of a mismatch between these brand new recommendations and what the insurers are currently willing to provide. So most insurers will only allow you one ICS-LABA combo per month. So that's a max of 120 puffs per month. So if you just used it for control and you did two puffs twice a day, which is a total of four puffs a day, you would exceed um, that amount of puffs if you used it at all for as-needed use for symptoms. So. Right now, yes, I would give people albuterol, but in the future, hopefully, more LABA ICS combo will be provided to patients who you're stepping up to use SMART. One of the things we always do for our patients who have asthma, both in the inpatient and the outpatient setting, is to provide them with an asthma action plan just so that they have an idea of how they can kind of titrate their medications at home. What would an asthma action plan look like for a kid who are sending home on SMART? Right. Our asthma action plans will actually have to change. So an example would be a seven-year-old patient with moderate persistent asthma. Their asthma action plan might look like when they're in the green uh, zone, they would get one puff of their LABA inhaled corticosteroid combo twice a day. And then when they're in the yellow, they would use an additional one to two puffs of that same as inhaler as needed, up to a max of eight puffs a day for kids less than 12. And then when they're sick, coughing or short of breath, and if they're still like that after they've used their max eight puffs a day, they should seek medical attention. And the SMART therapy, it's been shown to improve outcomes? Yes, it's been shown to both reduce asthma exacerbations requiring medical visits and reduce the total number of systemic steroid courses that a person would take during a year. 
Interesting. And so you mentioned that we are kind of grouping these kids with asthma into two categories, kids who are less than 12 and kids who are over 12. Um, What are the differences for the kids who are over 12? So there are some changes there as well. Um, There's mild intermittent asthma is same as needed albuterol. And then for mild persistent asthma, there's actually a pretty big change which is you can either do what we've always done, which is to give them daily low-dose inhaled corticosteroids and then have them use albuterol as needed, or you can give them both the inhaled corticosteroid and albuterol just as needed with exacerbations. There's widespread recognition by everybody who takes care of patients with asthma that kids with mild persistent asthma are very non-compliant with using their steroids in the first place. So using them as needed is, uh, uh, apparently this is the same in adults, so using them as needed is uh, a reasonable strategy now. And you need to keep in mind though, there are people that that strategy would not work for. And these are the kids we're all familiar with who clearly under-recognize their asthma symptoms and therefore would underuse the inhaled corticosteroid if it was just used as needed for perceived symptoms. So they would actually do better with daily inhaled corticosteroids along with as-needed albuterol. And so for a child who, let's say, is 13, um, let's have an example of they go to like a soccer game and they start having symptoms of asthma, they would start using their inhaled corticosteroid, let's say, twice a day, and then their albuterol every four hours until they felt well. Yes. Is that right? Okay. That's right. Got it. And then uh, for moderate or severe persistent asthma, uh, they're recommending SMART, so the single maintenance and reliever therapy using that inhaled corticosteroid combined with formoterol, and to use that both daily and as needed. So their asthma action plan would look like two puffs of perhaps Simbacort twice a day. When they get in the yellow zone, they would add additional puffs of Simbacort up to a max of 12 puffs a day. And if they made it to the red zone and the 12 puffs didn't take care of it, they would need to seek medical attention. So really, I like this strategy of SMART because it gets both the pediatrician's agenda done and the patient is more likely to use it. The patient is looking for relief so that for Motorol gives them both quick and long-acting relief. And then what we're looking for is some control of their inflammation, which if they use the Simbacort or Dulera as smart, and they use it both regularly and as needed, they're going to get additional steroids to help control their poorly controlled inflammation. And then a final kind of interesting recommendation in this age group, which is kids over 12 and adults, is that if they have uncontrolled symptoms on high-dose steroids in their smart so high-dose, SMART, you can add a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, 
which has been abbreviated LAMA, L-A-M-A, such as teotropium. This would be for very severe cases and in general would be started by a specialist. And so we're talking about kids who have a known diagnosis of asthma, and we know that those kids are typically um, four years of older when we can make that sort of diagnosis. Um, but I have seen kids in the past who, let's say they have a strong family history of asthma, they have been recurrent wheezers, everything except for their age would point to an asthma diagnosis in that child. In those kids who are less than four years old, are there formal recommendations for how we're managing their asthma? Yes. So these have actually not changed the recommendations. Uh, you would start with as-needed albuterol, then step up to low-dose inhaled corticosteroids, and then if they're not controlled on that, most people would go to a medium-dose inhaled corticosteroid combined with a long-acting beta agonist. And in addition to the 300-page supplement that was released, there are also two super handy um, documents. One is a 16-page summary that goes over the stuff that we've talked about today, along with a six-page at-a-glance guide, which is handy to have on hand, that shows you how to go through the stepwise approach for management uh, based on the new recommendations. Yes, and the 16-page clinician's guide is going to be available both on the MD Notified website, which is mdnotified.com, and it's also going to be available in the Quick Notes outline of this episode, Um, so be sure to check that out if you haven't already. One final topic that I wanted to cover, which I think is super interesting, is Outside of the recommendations on um, inhaled corticosteroid use and all the changes that we talked about surrounding that, they did make some comments on the use of fractional exhaled nitric oxide testing. Essentially, the higher levels of fractional exhaled nitric oxide suggest that there's more airway inflammation um, and that could theoretically help diagnose asthma in kids who are five and older. Um, The caveat to that is that there are also other common conditions that cause elevations in your fractional exhaled nitric oxide um, number, and those would be really common conditions like allergic rhinitis, kids who have a lot of ATP. So when is that number useful? When is the fractional exhaled nitric oxide a useful test? So the expert recommendations are to use fractional exhaled nitric oxide as an adjunct to the usual ways that we diagnose and then manage asthma. And those would be obtaining history of persistent symptoms and using spirometry. And that it should never be used as a standalone or litmus test for the diagnosis of asthma and should not be used as a standalone test to determine whether someone's asthma is in good control but that it's useful as an adjunct, particularly in people who, after you've done their history and done spirometry, you're still uncertain about whether they have asthma or not. Hmm. Interesting. So definitely something we may see more about in the future. That concludes our episode on asthma and the new asthma guidelines that were published in December 2020. Thank you, Dr. Miller, for being here. It was super fun. 
Thank you for inviting me, Christine. I actually enjoyed my first podcast. (laughs) Thanks for listening to MD Notified, a pediatric podcast. References to the information sourced in this episode can be found in the Quick Notes outline, which is available on mdnotified.com. The contributors to MD Notified have no financial disclosures or conflicts of interest. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals in today's episode and do not represent any other organizations or its employees. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. This podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice or services. If you are a member of the general public and have questions, please make an appointment with your local board-certified pediatrician.